So welcome to the next episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? And today, Gemma and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by Solitaire Townsend, the co-founder and chief solutionist at Futera. Hi, it's so wonderful to be here. So, Solitaire, thank you so much. We are delighted. We've been following your work. We've been looking at your TED Talks. We have looked at many of the reports and findings coming out of Futera. Uh, we love your um, Sell the Sizzle. That It was a <laughs> piece that you did, that article about, which is really great. And I'm sure we'll get to talk about that later. And we'll be able to tag that into the show notes as well. But You've been in this space a long time. Um, Since 2001, you've been driving sustainability in the advertising and marketing industry. And uh, what we particularly love about you is that you are totally unabashed about the kind of lack of end-to-end values alignment that there is in Mm -hmm. the industry. So give us a little bit of a background as to what was the catalyst for spurring your leadership in this area over the years. Um, So... First start, thank you so much for inviting me on here. I love the podcast. I think what you're doing is great. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And um, one of the reasons why it's such a pleasure to be here is because now lots of people are talking about this. Whereas back in 2001, it was a little lonely having these conversations. So Futera was set up with the absolute objective to make sustainable development so desirable it becomes normal. Um, and both the communications industry and the sustainability industry Neither of them understood that because, of course, the communication industry had never heard of sustainability. And the idea in the sustainability community that you try to make things desirable and make people want them rather than necessary and valid was also anathema. So it it took a long time to bring those two things together. Um, And over the most of the first decade of what of what we did and what I've what I've done, actually, I wasn't looking at our industry at all. I was looking at everybody else's, every other industry, working with the food industry, with the fashion industry, working with tech, really working to use these large multinationals and some of the biggest NGOs to try to use the power of their marketing to reach consumers, change attitudes, change behaviours. With some success, it's been fantastic. Absolutely loved doing that. Um, but it's only been pretty much in the last five or six years I've actually turned my attention to us, to actually yeah. our industry. Mm. Um and perhaps you are always a bigger critic of your siblings than you are of anybody else. But actually, when turning attention to the other agencies in marketing, in, in, in comms, in, in digital, in creativity, in professional services, of course, all professional services, began to realise what a really deep problem that we had. Mm. Um, and the, the ideas beginning to emerge about understanding that whilst footprint really matters. All of our footprint matters. Our carbon footprint matters, how much waste we create matters. It matters in our organisations. It matters as individuals. Each of us need to be dealing with that. It's not really the biggest impact of our industry. The biggest impact of our industry is our brain print. That's our product. That's what we actually create and make. Um, and that's that's where um, that's where all of our influence comes from. And we are, after all, the industry of influence. Um, and I, I began to realise how so many of the problems, particularly the problems around greenwash and around lobbyising, which perhaps we can talk about, mm. and around uh, bad practice in, in communications. And, you know, I helped write greenwash guides. I worked with the UK government, with the US government, to write some of the early greenwash guidance. Um, but I was always thinking about the clients in, the, in those circumstances. And began to realise that actually maybe that's not where 
all of the problem lies and it lies within our industry as well. So over the last couple of years, I have decided to work with my sisters and brothers in this in this industry and with my siblings and actually see whether as an industry we can go from being quite seriously part of the problem, honestly, to taking the role that I think we are absolutely able to take, which is not just part of the solution, but literally leading it. But the crucial part for me always is you cannot do both. You can't bet two ways. You can't be doing fantastic work to try to promote and engage and create and create purpose around sustainability and climate whilst at the same time serving the very reasons why climate change is happening in, in, in the first place. And it's astonishes me how many people in our industry continue to believe that that is somehow morally or actually legally going to be possible going forward. It's absolutely true, isn't it? We have to break our unhealthy relationship with consumption. And as you say, our brain print that has been, you know, built up and influenced over time and has been, I think, hammered, quite frankly, with just nonstop messages Um, which when you dig into are telling you you're not good enough or you don't smell nice enough or, you know, you're not thin enough. It it really is something that we we need to start changing. And someone likened our changing of our values to climate change. It happens over time. It's not going to be an overnight thing. You are seen as, you know, a hugely leading figure uh, in terms of the ethical advertising revolution, should we call it? Um, (laughs) And so I guess as a start point, could you bring us up to date with some of where you've got to with the work that your agency uh, is doing as a change agency? Yeah. So one of the reasons why I get the freedom to do that, and let's be honest, I think there's many, many other people within agencies who would be just as good at doing and saying what I'm saying, but because they are part of larger um, network agencies, they're not able to. So the reason why I have the position that I have is that I I am an independent agency and I'm the majority owner of an independent agency. So first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that I get a freedom to speak and I take that responsibility very seriously because I know that I'm often speaking on behalf of many, many people of good faith inside agencies and inside in-house as well across the world who think the same things. Yeah. Um, and are extremely pleased that I get to say it. So I think that's one of the things which I'm acutely aware of, the responsibility to represent and verbalise things which are bluntly not my idea (laughs) and are widely held and talked about. So where we are at the moment is um, I think we're at a really big tipping point and there is two things which are pushing at both sides of those tipping points. And, you know, uh, what, what, what's that? What's that? It's the science bit. Yeah, concentrate. Um, so on one side, you've actually got uh, really recently, just this year, in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the Nobel Prize winning scientists who literally tell the whole world what's going on on climate change and every government and every business listens to them. Um, they have given us a job for the first time in 20 years. Um, And it's a very clear job and it's a very exciting job. And literally we have been given the amount of carbon, which is 5% of demand side carbon, that we should be able to save on behalf of the planet by helping to change people's behaviour. That is 
really significant. 5% of demand-side carbon is world-changing, literally world-saving. It's the kind of thing which means you could look your children in the eye and know that you have done what was needed. This is wonderful. And and that has brought us as an industry firmly into the fold as part of the solution. The other, should we say, the sort of, if if that's the tailwind pushing us in industry, the headwind that's pushing against us being able to do that is um, is the is the work that we do with our clients, which is working against that. Now that goes from the extreme end, which is working with oil and gas clients yeah. um, uh, in ways that uh, overemphasise the work that they're doing on green, that help them create license to operate where they wouldn't, and quite bluntly, greenwash, um, all the way through to insufficiency advertising, um, uh, 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 trying to create um, uh, appetite and build markets where there, where there isn't one, and crucial not just here in the UK and in the US and in saturated markets, but absolutely importantly in markets where uh, where every additional consumption is additional it is it's yeah. you're not um uh, you, you know you're not just taking market share from elsewhere so we've got those two things one we now have this manifest destiny as an industry we are yeah. we, we are the fine i personally believe we're the final piece yeah. of should we say the machine that if we can slot in our power and our creativity and our genius and what we're able to do into the climate movement it is going to start Start speeding those solutions yeah. faster than they've been able to get to yeah. up until now at all. But we cannot be doing that whilst we're also doing serving the destruction. And that tension is just growing and growing. It was growing and growing every year. It's now growing and growing every day. If my inbox and my LinkedIn comments are anything to go by, where vast vast numbers of young talent in the industry. And I can tell you, I am getting hundreds, if not thousands of messages from young talent in a number of the biggest agencies yes. in the world who, who are just no longer able to sort of square that circle for themselves yes. and desperately, desperately want to be able to, to work on the work that they know they can be proud of. Absolutely. And, and uh, with Gemma and I, even with our Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast and our little manifesto and our learning zone challenge, we too are receiving those messages saying, thank you. You know, this is, I now as a marketer feel that I've actually got a positive role to play in yeah. the world because it's showing me a different way as to how I, I can operate and how I can use those skills, creativity and influence as a force for good rather than sitting back and uh, with those levels of discomfort and feeling that I didn't have that voice. And, and, and we couldn't agree more, Solitaire, that we, we absolutely believe that marketers have got a really strong position in driving that change, not just in the ad industry, but across businesses generally, because they tend to work across the value chain of a business. You know, they're not always operationally in silos. They are also working with HR, R&D, finance. You know, they they do work across the communications piece of an organization. So, So you're absolutely right. One of the things that you talked about there about this pivotal change and these tensions, and and it definitely feels like this is, there is some real energy Mm -hmm. going on, isn't there, around these elements. The recent announcement, I think it was June, uh, late June, where the United Nations backed the Race to Zero campaign, updating that criteria to include tougher standards specifically for the advertising and creative industries. Can you just, I mean, I saw this because you were celebrating this. You were thrilled to bits about this on on LinkedIn. We were like, okay, we've got to get Solitaire to talk about this. Uh, 
Tell us a little bit more about how these, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the headwinds and the tailwinds. OK, but then there was this periphery element yep. also coming into play. So uh, this is where being a geek can really serve. <laughs> so as as well as being, um, uh, you know, a communicator and a creative myself, I am also a climate geek and I'm deeply embedded within the climate community, particularly the parts of the climate community which are business facing. So the race to zero is the way in which businesses can join the Paris Agreement. So the Paris Agreement is a big global agreement that we have on climate change that governments are all part of. And it's what every year we have those big cops like we had in Glasgow, where more heads of state attend than attend any other topic in the world. They come together to talk about climate change. But the Paris Agreement is just for governments. So Waste to Zero is a UN-backed campaign, a UN-backed process by which businesses can join the Paris Agreement by setting a net zero target. And the net zero target is that you will reduce your absolute carbon emissions. So your real carbon emissions, you'll reduce them by 90 to 95 percent by 2050 and by 30 percent by um, uh, by 2030. And that's across what's called three scopes. I told you this was geeky. Yeah. Scope one, scope two, and scope three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, for most ad agencies, our, our footprint is not that big. It's actually quite easy for us yeah. to set a net zero target. You know, it means you've got to look at your energy bill. You might need to look at your flying a little bit. You might need to make sure you're buying renewable energy. But it's we don't have factories. We don't have farms. You know, we don't have a big carbon So a lot of agencies have committed to the Race to Zero. And so many clients, in fact, Race to Zero now covers over 50% of world GDP. So many clients are also members of Race to Zero. And they are asking all of their suppliers, um, including you, yeah. to be part of this. So there you go. Great. But quite easy um, until they invited me onto the working group. <laughs> so I was I was the only active agency head um, who was part of one of these working groups. And I was invited because I know my onions on, on climate change, because I understand the policy and scientific um, agenda. And I worked on a number of parts of it. Um, but one of the parts that we worked on was to add two parts to the implementation guide for how you do, how you do um, race to zero. One is for professional services companies in advertising and marketing to look at their advertised emissions. Yeah. yeah. Of course, that's the great work um, uh, that, that is done by Purpose Disruptors and others. And the other is to create a client disclosure report, which is where you create, and they're very simple to do, you create essentially a pie chart showing where your revenue comes from by industry. You don't even need to name your clients. You just need to show which industry they belong to. And that's very easy to do because every company has what's called a SIG, a standard industry code. So you know which yeah. industry your clients come from. So that's now in the race to zero. It takes a while for the race to zero to, to start pushing and demanding and requiring and checking and holding to account and, and putting in consequences for not doing that, that will take a while to catch up. But what I think you're going to begin to find first is clients going, um, this is the race to zero. Can we check whether our agencies are doing it? Because it's beholden upon us 
client to make sure our entire value chain, including our agencies, are doing what's expected. Now, now that's validated. And of course, Futera pioneered the client disclosure reports. We created the first one and we've been, we've been pushing and supporting and getting them into B Corp and elsewhere ever since. But now that's been validated by um, the Race to Zero. It means other standard setters are going to pick it up. People like the Global Reporting Initiative, the yep. SEC in the US, the um, uh, FTSE for Good. Many other standard setters will start requiring these client disclosure reports. Um, and of course, the kind of social reports are very difficult to argue against because it's just transparency. Yeah. You don't have to say whether it's good or it's bad, whether it's, you know, it is literally transparency of who pays your bills. Um, and if you're uncomfortable revealing that by industry, not even by client name, by industry, if you're uncomfortable with revealing that, then that tells you something yeah. about your business. And so what I'm doing is I'm working with a lot of the industry bodies. I'm really supporting people internally. This isn't a stick to bash people over with to say, look, do this for yourself internally first. Actually find out what your client disclosure report would look like if you published it. Take a look at it. See how you feel about it. Yeah. It might tell you something that you didn't really know. It might be a better story. It might be a worse story. It might be something which makes you uncomfortable. And then that gives you an opportunity to think about what you're going to do about that before there's a, you're, you're actually asked to publish it. And some clients might ask you to send it to them confidentially first before they ask you to publish it. But there's only one way this is going, which is going to be going to a requirement for public disclosure. And the reason why I know that is this is not my first rodeo with disclosure. I helped create some of the standards on the Global Reporting Initiative. I did some of the first materiality standards there ever were. I worked with the UK on changing the Company Laws Act. So I absolutely know how this goes. And it's a set of steps. And we're, we're, we're at about step five, and there's about 10 more to come. The one big difference about the disclosure requirements for our industry and the steps we're going through versus everything that's happened before is how fast this is happening. Yes. I thought it was going to take two years between raising this at that first working group for Race to Zero. And I thought we'd have to go through at least two more years worth of consultations for it to get in. And it's already in. So right. this is a sign to me that, and perhaps rightly so, it is 2022, that we're not going to get quite as long a road as our yep. other industries got to being required to do this. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant news. I think, you know, transparency is something that Michelle and I talk about all the time. And, you know, actually people people appreciate it when businesses are transparent and those social impact companies that are out there being transparent about, you know, this is this is where our impacts are and this is where we're working to improve them. And actually we know there are other impacts, but we we haven't quite got there yet. Just by acknowledging that, that builds that trust, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. And again, as communicators, we should know that transparency, even if it's not all unspotted, is trust building because probably, possibly, if you ask your stakeholders, your staff, some of your clients, the outside world to draw that little pie chart of where your money come from, maybe they draw a worse one than what is actually the case. Mm. So one of the other things which I'm always telling some of the big agencies is transparency, even if you're not all perfect, can work to your advantage because it can overnight get rid of myths, get rid of expectations, get rid of people thinking something about you that's not true. And it's out there and it means that you control the message. And we should all get used to having these questions asked of us and also asking these questions. And I know people get quite uncomfortable about it, 
but it should be it should be like any conversation you know where people ask you what your revenue is what your turnover yeah. is it should become part of that normal business questioning because you know the end result and what we're all aiming for is is that common goal to to yeah. have a more sustainable future one question seeing as we are talking to an absolute climate geek <laughs> that I'd love to get your view on is yep. what are your views on offsetting and insetting Right. So this is a whole universe and uh, welcome to the Thunderdome because <laughs> this is in geek worlds. This is a flame war right now. Um, so there's offsetting, there's insetting, there's removals and there's destruction. So there's a whole set of, of ways in which we deal with the carbon we've already got out there. And under the IPCC, under the rules that we have, as well as stopping creating carbon, we are going to have to deal with the carbon that's already up there. But there are different different ways of doing that. And there's very, very, very different opinions on which is best. So traditionally, offsetting has been when a government or a company buys a type of carbon credit or an offset credit from a provider. And usually that is somebody who is growing trees or protecting mangroves or something in the developing world. And they generate what's called a gold standard, a voluntary offset credit, and you buy it. So that's traditional offsetting. And, you know, when that was first started up 15 years ago, it's a great idea. Really brilliant. You know, we love spending, sending money to developing countries and to nature. Great. The problem with offsetting is that uh, a number of companies essentially used it as a uh, permit to pollute. So we can do whatever we want. We can create as much carbon as we want as long as we sign a big check. Um, those checks kept getting bigger and bigger. And of course, you know, having to sign a check is in itself a little bit of a, of a tailwind to get you to do something. But that's where a lot of critics of offsetting, particularly a lot of the big charities, the WWFs, the Greenpeace, started saying, this is not okay. You were literally just continuing to pollute and signing, and signing off. And there's also a lot of questions and concerns about corruption and sustainability within the carbon credits um, universe itself. So then you've got things such as insetting, which is where, for example, a big food company that's got a lot of agricultural land, agriculture itself, how we grow and make our food, creates an enormous amount of carbon. In fact, it's one of the, the, the second biggest creators yeah. of carbon in, in the world. But it also can be a carbon sink. So it is actually possible to use nitrogen fixing to use so that agriculture can actually uh, get carbon back into the soil. So that would be where through your actual own supply chain, so you're not paying some third party to buy the credits through your own supply chain you're doing. Then there's other ways of high quality sequestration and you start getting increasingly into some science parts here around um, around you can use essentially stone and rock um, you can grind it down and it can pull carbon out you've got um, uh, direct air capture which is where you actually suck the carbon out of the um, uh, out of the air and, and and you combine it and you've got those and then you've got things such as methane destruction which is when methane as we know methane is is like is the little girl that's got a little curl right in the middle of their forehead because methane is way worse for our climate than carbon and it's really 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 bad multiple ways bad but it doesn't stick around for very long so it disappears much quicker so actually getting methane under control and actually capturing methane and destroying it which you can do it's very difficult to destroy carbon you can destroy methane is another way which people are doing it 
all of this is absolutely necessary. We really, really need to do all of this because we've got too much carbon up there. Even if we stop pumping it up, we've got to deal with what's already up there. However, there has been poor practice and an enormous amount of greenwash associated with some ways of doing it. So under net zero, you actually don't offset or inset the remainder of the carbon after you've reduced your carbon down, you actually have to do high quality sequestration, which okay. is uh, which is a much higher much higher barrier of how you do it and much more carefully measured. So that there's there's as always with climate change something which started off as sort of like a good you know step one idea. Yeah. By the time you get to step five, you can't, you need to up your game. Yeah. And so, but we do have a problem, and this is a marketing problem. I'm so pleased, Gemma, that you raised it because it's a massive problem. I've got an article coming out about it coming up, which is uh, carbon neutral, offsetting, not actually a climate solution. Uh, what are we going to do? Because hundreds of millions of dollars get paid into that. And we, we want that hundreds of millions of dollars to be going to nature. Also, the other problem is consumers recognise and value the term. They actually recognise and value carbon neutral. It is one of the very few things you can do on climate change, which yeah. is going to get you consumer brownie points and maybe even loyalty preference or even to be noticed. So there's a real marketing value to it. So what what we really need to do right now, and this is a call to action for marketers, is we have got to swiftly create a branding and recognition of high quality sequestration, um, of, of investing in nature and of nature-based solutions, which is as compelling and recognized as carbon neutral is because otherwise we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater we're telling all these big corporates yeah that thing which you do which consumers really value actually turns out not to be good can you stop doing it but we're not giving them a, a really compelling alternative so there you go that's a big brief to the marketing industry wow that's quite the challenge isn't it yeah. Yeah, and, and, and sorry, it's also technical. Like this is yeah, it's one no. of the reasons why I think it's taken such a long time for the marketing community to catch up on climate change because it's sometimes quite dull. It, 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 so I was just going to say because I teach a carbon literacy for marketers now, having gone through the carbon literacy piece, and 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 that you're absolutely right that it is complicated. There are science elements that we need to be aware of, but as marketers, as communicators. Our view is that that's the business landscape that you yeah. are operating in now. We we yeah. we need to understand what these goals and targets are. I had a conversation uh, uh, with a lovely woman from Unifido who are working on. I don't know if you've talked to her, uh, Solitaire, but it would be interesting to see what they're up to because what they're doing is looking at the impact of all the different types of. Um, of, of marketing, whether mm -hmm. it's email, whether it's paid social, whether it's organic social, whether, you know, they're really going into lots of granular detail, radio, TV, above yeah. the line, out of house, all sorts of things. And, and, and apportioning this carbon to every particular sale. It's quite interesting how yeah. it's an analyst organization. And, and, but the, the key I was talking, and she was saying, you know, realistically, mm -hmm. these marketing budgets are sizable. Mm. But they don't necessarily relate to the carbon budget you know yeah. and this is it's wonderful that there is this race to zero it's wonderful that there is a that the IPCC have given us you know the United have given us this five percent to work with throughout yeah. and cascade throughout as to what businesses and the advertising and the marketing industry can do but it's it, there's a challenge I feel for organizations to understand to almost know where they are right now yes. the impact of the work that they're doing from a carbon perspective 
those tools aren't really readily accessible, are they, to make it easy for them to say, well, we know that if we do that campaign, there is this much carbon. We know that if through those emails that we're sending out there, there's this much waste. And yeah. how can we now be innovating and optimizing that? There's a lot of practical challenges as well as the science. There's almost, yeah. what do we now do? There is, there is. But I think it's getting cleared up really Good. swiftly. So in terms of the footprint of the activities we take, there's a whole set of protocols which have existed for years, which we can just apply to our industry. As in, we are not the first industry to want to know the carbon footprint of an email. It's true. <laughs> that get Google, yep. Facebook, they've all been looking at that already. Yep. So there's a lot we can take from that. And particularly in terms of our brain print, of course, we have all spent an enormous amount of time over decades proving to our clients how much our advertising and marketing has increased sales yeah so we do that if we didn't do that we're terrible at our jobs like if we're not increasing sales and there is a very simple way to calculate uh the carbon impact that we're having that's that, that, that you don't even need a tool because your client should already know how much carbon is associated with each unit of their product and so if you have told them we've increased your product sales by you know, 7.5%, then that's, that's, that's not a different calculation. That's a, that's a 10 yeah. minute calculation yeah. to be able to say, well, that, that means it's this much carbon. So this is, this is what I mean. I think sometimes there's an assumption that this is difficult, so you don't have to do it. And it's really not. And in fact, we could, we, that, that, if we've increased your sales by this percentage, yeah. that's how much carbon we've helped to increase. We could have been doing that for the last decade. We could, at the moment our clients knew how much carbon was embedded in each of their products, which of course they now need, must know under race to zero. That's maths is really straightforward. So, um, sometimes, you know, I get a lot of excuses yep. thrown at me. I put, I, I keep, I actually keep a tracker list of them in my office. I've got a whole, a whole tracker list of all the excuses that we, that we get. And of course they're getting sillier and sillier as the, as the, the first excuses become, um, you know, un- unanswerable. So uh, that one of going, oh, it's too complicated to measure is one which is, which is, have you tried? Because it's yeah. really not. And if you can't work out that's increasing 7.5 or 10% or 2% of your client sales has got carbon associated with it, then, you know, should you really be handling money at all? <laughs> you know, should you really be setting budgets? Yeah. Because if your numeracy is so low, then I've got question marks about you running an agency. So I think I, th- I have to say, I do think it's a bit of an excuse. And that's why I asked so the, the offsetting insetting question, because again, looking for how do we reduce our carbon footprint? How do we, you know, how do we help our clients to, to go towards a more sustainable future? I think offsetting's become the buzzword where it, it's, it's for me, it almost stops people changing their behaviours and reducing, which is the first thing we need to do, and go. Well, we'll just offset. Just yeah. offset. Well, can you not offset all of that? And you know, mm-hmm. and and it's it's and there's a lack the of understanding. Thing. And this is you know, we now everyone can yeah. listen to this podcast and <laughs> and understand so that yeah. they don't jump to the easiest um, the easiest option because it's it's not going. It's not the answer. In, in isolation, answer. it's not the answer. It's not. And lots of people ask. Uh, get very confused about the terminology but sort of carbon offsetting is doing everything which you've already done and signing a check 
to try to save as much carbon as you've created. Net zero is reducing your carbon, absolute carbon, not intensity, but the actual amount of carbon um, that you produce through your whole value chain by 50% by 2030 and by 90% by 2050. And then doing high quality sequestration for the rest but that's literally like five percent yeah. of it so it's yeah. it's not really a big part of it and the number of people who seem to think that net zero and offsetting are the same thing yes. um you know a five minute google and you should probably be able to clear that up absolutely brilliant brilliant and so um we loved your ted talk we absolutely <laughs> that you know it was just fantastic you talked about this industry x but you also talked um you know about the great opportunity that mm-hmm. is there you know this isn't this isn't all doom and gloom is it for the industry yeah. if anything this is driving innovation this is driving shifts that it's really exciting the opportunity very much so and that's it was uh, for a start I can't quite believe so many people have wanted to watch a podcast about advertising and climate change I was not expecting I think it hit 1.5 million I million. know it's been, million. been nuts I'm literally amazing like, really is that that many people interested but um uh, so but 50% of it is about this wonderful opportunity that we have. So number one, I think that marketing and communications and creativity is one of the industries which is going to be able to make this, this transition to a low carbon economy easier and faster because marketing and communications and creativity is still going to be needed. And in fact, we don't have to change anything about our technology. We don't have any technology. We don't have to change anything about our capital expenditure. We don't have any capital expenditure. We don't have to change anything about our infrastructure. We don't have any infrastructure. Actually, all we have to do is change our minds. And that is much, much, much easier than most of our clients who have got massive things they've got to change. The other thing being is, as we move towards more low carbon options, as we dematerialize our economies, it doesn't mean that people aren't going to buy things or not want things. It is just means that those things are going to be have a, have a different carbon footprint and a different material footprint than they had. So there still is a massive, if not growing role for the marketing industry. Yeah. And I think perhaps if people realize that, this would feel slightly less of an existential threat to the continuance of the industry. And more a little bit like the digital revolution which we've just been through where we all had to change how we did things we all had to change what we did in some cases we changed who we did it for and new clients opened up and entirely new industries opened up for us and those who were late to the game lost and those who were early to the game won that's what the sustainability revolution is going to be like you are still going to have a job in it if you make the trans the transformation. But if you don't keep up with this pace of change, I do worry that there are some agencies and some some creatives and marketers who will get left behind. So that's wonderful, Solitaire, that you talk there uh, about the shifts, but that this, this idea about we just have to change our minds. And for Gemma and I, the thing that kind of changed our minds was learning this, this education piece that uh, once we started writing and researching for sustainable marketing, how to drive profits with purpose, it really awakened us to the realities. We thought we were kind of concerned, responsible marketers with levels of discomfort, but all of a sudden now we were seeing the facts and the stats and it just became very real. Um, but, it, and it, but it compelled us to want to do something different and to make that change. You know, it's almost like an energy that kind of gets embedded and, and, and you just feel like, you know what, we've got the power to really do something great about this as marketers because we're, we're very well positioned to do that. So where do you think where do you sit around this education piece 
So education awareness is always key. And, uh, you know, go and talk to your kids because chances yeah. are they know more about this than, um, than you do. But I, I have a wonderful opportunity sometimes to sit with boards and with leaders. And I do uh, climate change sex ed. Well, I go and I say, just Brilliant. ask me everything that you haven't been sure about. Ask me anything that you think might be a myth. Ask me what's really happening. And we have some really honest conversations. So, for example, more than once I've been sitting with boards and with leaders and I've talked about 1.5 degrees, 1.5 degrees. These people have made speeches about 1.5 degrees and said, we're aligned with 1.5 degrees. And I've explained what 1.5 degrees is, that 1.5 degrees is the best we're going to get, yeah. which is to try to keep climate change worldwide within 1.5 degrees. What that means, 1.5 degrees, probably is losing quite a bit of our coasts, probably losing all of our island states, probably keeping the kind of summer that we've just had here in Europe every year. Like, you know, it, it, this is what 1.5 means. And people have been horrified. These board members who have committed their companies to say with 1.5 are like, seriously, this is the best that the world is going to agree to. The absolute massive moonshot we're, we're shooting for is for things only to get that bad. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why education and awareness on climate change is so important mm. because it's not to make us feel bad or to feel that nothing can be done or to feel that nothing can be solved. It's to get a bit of outrage yeah. about the fact that, you know, entrepreneurial, imaginative people tend to be like, no, not good enough. No, we're <laughs> like, do I something want, about this. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want 1.5. That sucks. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what, what can we do about this? And so I think that that, um, getting that fire in your belly through yeah. knowing what climate change is, um, is really important. It also is important because in our, in our industry, we're very focused on intuitive solutions on things feeling gut right. And we do that a lot in, you know, in creative moments, in ideation, like, you know, something really feels gut right. Um, and that's incredibly important for creativity. Fortunately, it's a terrible idea in climate change <laughs> because uh, so much around climate change about what you need to do and what works and what doesn't doesn't work is anti-intuitive. Because if it was mm. intuitive, we wouldn't be in climate change, would we? We'd have all realized a long yeah. time ago. And so another reason to get educated on these issues is because you need to be able to have those wonderful, creative, free conversations within a, you know, a, a, a territory of understanding. Yeah. And th those creative brainstorms can be just as wonderful as they've always been, but they can be within the territory, which is actually going to work. So another reason to get really educated on this, because that, you know, if we all get really educated on this, it means we're not going to run campaigns about plastic straws, which yeah. are, 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 you know, plastic straws are a thing. Um, and we all saw, we all saw that, that, that poor turtle. Um, but when it comes to climate change, they are not material. And so it means that we can really understand what actually matters and what actually counts when it comes to climate change versus what's just a nice, compelling message. And I think when it comes to, to advertising, um, we've, we've noticed and we've interviewed a couple of social impact companies that actually they don't focus on above the line advertising. In fact, they, they, they do marketing, not advertising, as they've said to us. And, you know, they, they put a huge amount of focus and their budgets into maybe PR stunts or using the product itself to sell. Um, and, you know, that also that saving goes towards, you know, paying people a fair wage within their supply chains. It goes towards innovation. It goes towards educating people on their purpose. 
Do you think that that's something that could threaten the advertising world moving forward? And another reason why, you know, they need to educate themselves on all of the other options and what's available out there. Because, you know, we need to support uh, businesses talking beyond their products and services. So it's almost like just a campaign isn't going to isn't going to cut it in the future because you have to tell a bigger story than the headline. Absolutely. And let's be blunt, this isn't just about sustainability. This is the entire comms architecture is changing. Yeah. You know, the, the traditional um, lines of broadcast have completely turned on the head. The Gen Zs are, are nowhere to be seen in traditional advertising. We've got the, the entirety of the metaverse where you've got to do a full story tell. There's absolutely no way that you can do just a blast broadcast. Like the, that entire universe of how communications happens is changing. It's getting more interesting. Yeah. It's getting deeper. It's getting yeah. more exciting. It's getting more creative, arguably. I know some of the old school ad guys think it's becoming less creative, but that's because they just can't show off in a 30-second spot anymore that everyone sees. It's actually much more creative, not least because it's not all held and gatekeeped by a few highly paid madmen. Like yeah. creativity is not everywhere. All yeah. our kids are doing, they're creating, yeah. they're making their storytelling online with audiences. It's a explosion and we need to be in it. So I don't, I don't have any fears for the advertising industry in that because this will not be the first of these revolutions we've, we've gone through. The advertising industry, the communications industry, the engagement industry, the industry will totally still be here. We will adapt and we'll make it. Some of the names might change. Yeah. Some of the agencies might disappear and some new agencies might, might spot up, but that's okay because baby, that's capitalism. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's opportunity, isn't it? There you go. There's opportunity everywhere. It's, it's exactly. not all doom and gloom. We've got to tell a different story, haven't yeah. we? And, and exactly. we've got to change our behaviours. Well, one of the things, so there's good evidence to show that people who are currently in the metaverse tend to be higher sustainability consumers in terms of their purchasing um, because they in the metaverse, they're more engaged in stories rather than in blasts. And the stories which capture consumers' attentions um, are in those spaces, you know, sustainability is one of the only things which actually is a story. <laughs> Everything else tends to be, you know, not not particularly um, geared towards full storytelling or you have to put a story around it yeah. and, you know, create an arc, a story architecture that isn't true and um, where sustainability tends to be authentic story. So there's a reason why it, it catches attention in those spaces. And again, we've got uncontrolled attention. We are no longer able to hold and control attention, which means we have to make the stories that people are interested in. And, you know, like a marching drum, the Gen Zs are coming, the largest consumer group on the planet, um, uh, increasingly um, holding the, the purse strings, um, entering the workplace, entering parenting, um, and, and with a ravenous desire for sustainability messaging. Yeah. Yeah, there's a real there's a real appetite for change, isn't there? Which is which is great to see. So, Solitaire, I feel we could talk and talk and talk for hours. We seriously could, and we've got to do this again because it's, we've just loved ha having you on and and, and and being part of this, you know, wonderful fountain of geekness and creativity. It's just been <laughs> absolutely such a wonderful blend. So, we like to wrap up the uh, podcast, and we ask our guests the three same kind of quick fire questions. And I know you haven't seen these questions. So, you know, this is our Ooh. kind of blast to you. So our first question to you is, can marketing save the planet? Possibly. Possibly. Very good. Um, I can say more than that, but that's my answer, which is we are, we are absolutely at the cross in the roads. And there's no path forward. It's either up or down. And we've got to choose our way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And our second question is, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time? So I hope it's still there. <laughs> it's that, 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 yeah. we, that, 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 that we're still there. Um, I, I'm writing a book at the moment about the solutionists, about the business people who are actually making a difference. And I'm interviewing everybody from sort of the CEO of Ikea and Bill Gates through to amazing social entrepreneurs around the world. And business is widely believed, I think, by business itself to be part of the problem. And again, if we can change our mindset around that and go fulfilling need, which is the purpose of business, fulfilling need, there is one stonking, massive, one problem to rule them all need out there right now. And that's to save the world. Yeah. Uh, And that is it, isn't it? You know, um, fantastic. And if you were to give somebody a piece of advice uh, your piece of advice to others around getting started with sustainability what would it be go talk to your kids or somebody else's kids like as in we there is talking to talking to young people about this is going to show you three things one it's going to show you the horrific levels of justified eco-anxiety that any parent or person who who you know loves their you know, godchildren or their nieces and nephews, it's going to be really difficult to face that in the eye and realise that maybe you're not quite doing what you should about it. Secondly, you're going to feel an enormous amount of energy and enthusiasm, passion and ideas about how the world could be different. It's really enthusing. It's also, remember, there are future consumers. And thirdly, your kids know more about this than you do. So ask them to explain it to you. Well, thank you so very much for hosting this podcast. Thank you for joining us. 